Welcome to the Prophecy Club. Leslie and I are going to minister in Honduras for 10 days and thank you for your prayers, not only protection, but that God will be with us and use us in ministering to the people. So our absence is going to be your blessing. So over 20 years, we made 130 guest speakers in to make speaking tours for them. And they made 330 DVDs, most of which are available at WatchProphecyClub.com. So what we're going to do today is play about 30 minutes of one of those DVDs. And what we think are probably the top 10 or 11 DVDs that we've made. And so you're going to get a real treat. These are really good. And you can go and watch all of them at WatchProphecyClub.com. And I... Uh, think if you'll go and check there. We, we, here, here, let me just explain. So Prophecy Club started in 1993. 130 guest speakers, 330 recordings. You can watch them all at watchprophecyclub.com. We sponsored them on speaking tours anywhere from 10 to, at one time, we were having 40 meetings a month. Though no, I did run all of them. And uh, at one time, we had three different tours going with three different speakers. So we were... Uh, at one time, we had about 5,000 people typically every month attending our meetings. And in those days, this was before there were other large prophecy ministries. I think at the time we were the number two prophecy ministry in America, second only in those days to Jack Van Impey. Uh, what we've done is chosen 11, me and the staff, chosen 11 of what we think are the best recordings over the last 20 years. So we're going to be playing 30 minutes out of each one of those recordings. Most of them are two-and-a-half-hour recordings. Some of them are doubles, which would be five hours. Normally, we offered them for $30 per DVD. And yes, if you want to go to prophecyclub.com, you can still get the DVD. And we are offering uh, all 11 of these recordings on DVD for a gift of $100. You can get that at prophecyclub.com. Now let's talk about Watch Prophecy Club. So all of these are put up so you can watch them. And, by the way, we now have an app so you can watch them easily. You can go to Prophecy Club and you can watch the Prophecy Club. Or you can go to Watch Prophecy Club. You can go and watch all of these DVDs. Or you can download our app. And the way the app works is that you can be watching a DVD. And then if you get a phone call, it pauses it. When it's done, it starts playing again. Introducing the Watch Prophecy Club app now available for your Android and iOS devices. Watch Prophecy Club is your exclusive home for the last 30 plus years of the best in Bible prophecy and end times information from the Prophecy Club. This app features over 100 speakers and 23 categories of Prophecy Club titles since the beginning. We are also excited to announce an integrated community feature where you can interact with other believers and Bible prophecy students. Choose either a monthly or annual subscription with a three-day free trial. Cancel anytime. So let's back up and talk about Watch Prophecy Club. It's $20 a month. There's no commitment. You can stop anytime you want to. Or $200 a year. But if you'll put in TPC 2023 right there, you'll get the first month free, meaning you can watch all 11 of these for free, as long as you did it the first month. And if you put in TPC 2023Y, 20, 
you get a one-year plan for $180. You get $20 off. That's a really good deal. <laughs> Never thought it'd be such a good deal. Anyway, normally $30 each, but you can get all 11 of these recordings for a gift of $100. Prophecyclub.com for that. If you want to watch them instantly, you go to watchprophecyclub.com, or the best way is simply download our app. You just go to the App Store, and it's either Apple or Android, and you can download the app, and that is probably the easiest, fastest way, most convenient way to, to watch them. All right, now, let me explain about the meetings. Typically, we would have anywhere from about 100 to the maximum we had at one meeting, which was Dimitri Dudeman. We had 1,000 people at one of his meetings. And so we would have them in a television studio where we could make you nice recordings, nice professional recordings, at least professional compared to those days. Now, we do a much better job today. Now, today's program is my favorite. Of the 130 guest speakers we had, making 330 DVDs by far, Henry Gruber is my most beloved speaker and also Leslie's too. He's going to speak on I Saw Submarines Attack America. You can watch the whole thing at WatchProphecyClub.com. But today, we're going to watch about the first 30 minutes of it. So who's Henry Gruber? Well, Henry Gruber gives an account of him being swept up into heaven, God showing him the future. On December 14, 1986, while walking praying over a city, God showed him a vision of the future of America. I saw all kinds of ships and airplanes coming out of this outlet above Norway, which was Murmansk. They covered the Atlantic between the U.S. and Europe, began to see submarines emerging from under the surface. I saw missiles come out the eastern and western coastal cities of the United States. Awesome, awesome talk and speaker. I saw submarines attack America. Watch the whole thing at WatchProphecyClub.com. Now let's go watch Henry Groover. Welcome to the Prophecy Club, where we study and research Bible prophecy. The topic tonight is, I Saw Submarines Attack America. And our speaker is uniquely qualified to do this because God has shown him what is coming for America. Who is he? Why has he earned the right to talk on such a subject? Well, he's been in the ministry for some 38 years and he walks and prays cities. He's walked and prayed over 200 foreign cities alone. What do we mean walking and praying a city? He gets a map at God's direction and systematically walks up and down every street in that city, praying out loud, praying in the spirit, pulling down strongholds, loosing the angels to do warfare. Then he goes up at God's direction on the highest point overlooking that city where he lifts his hands and he proclaims that land reclaimed to God. Many times revival breaks out. He's had guns at his head, knives at his throat, and God has delivered him from them all. One day while walking a city, as you'll hear tonight, December 14th, 1986, he was lip- lifted above the earth and he looked down on it like a globe. And God showed him a vision of submarines launching nuclear weapons and landing here in our beloved America. God does not hate America. He loves America, and He loves Americans, and He loves the Christians here, and He wants to save them. But we have sinned, and we have turned from our God, and He is going to correct us and bring us back to Him, and that's what you're going to hear tonight. Will you help me welcome Henry Groover? Thank you, Sam.
The Lord is good, and His mercies endure forever. I want to begin with those words because I want you to remember them through this entire time. Because if you don't, it will be very difficult for you to keep that focus. In Psalms 85, it says, Mercy and truth are met together. I believe in a God of mercy. I believe in the power of the truth that sets free. I believe that anything that makes a lie, God will deal with. And throughout this presentation, you're going to find out, I believe, that God watches over His Word to perform every word of it, to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. My life was not one that was designed by my thinking to be anything in the realm of prophecy. My father was a prophecy student. I grew up cutting my teeth with prophecy teachers. I come to know at a very young age, through my father's instruction with us boys and one sister, that prophecy is very important. Dad always said to us, the trouble's going to come because of the Middle East. Well, that's scriptural. And the prophecy teachers of many years have been teaching this. But I'll have to confess to you that by the time I was 17 years old, I'd had about this much of prophecy, and I didn't want any more. And I decided my life would not be in the realms of that at all. And so therefore I decided that my life would be that of evangelism if it was going to be ministry at all. And so I thrust myself into evangelism, began at the age of 17 walking cities and evangelizing, and God began to build a, a discipline of His Spirit in my life. I began to hear His voice and understand well what He was saying to me and His instructions. And I can truly say to you at this very moment, the only reason I'm standing here is because I listened to my Father in Heaven's instructions. I learned His voice. And Jesus said in His Word and His very own words, My sheep know my voice, and another's will they not hear. And that's very important. You will hear me make statements in this presentation that I will say, Thus saith the Lord. You will hear me make statements that I will say, I speak as a man. Please, please take them in their context. I'm a person that is very cautious about saying, Thus saith the Lord. You will also find that I am not a person that gives dates. So if you are going to shut it off and say, I don't want to see this because here's another one of these people that's doing this, you can leave it on. I don't give dates. But I do give the signs of the seasons. And that's very important because I believe Jesus used that facet to teach and to emphasize the seasons. How did he say that? He said, what is it? He said, you see the leaves on the fig tree, you know that summer is near. You see the south wind, you feel the south wind blowing in, and you know it's going to get hot. What is the matter? You can discern these things, but you can't discern the signs of the times. And so I believe with all my heart that God wants us to discern the signs of the times. And the signs will lead you to the time. And you will not be caught without being prepared. And that's the key. And the whole motive, I believe, of God pulling me off of the evangelistic field. And we'll go into portions of that tonight. But the whole motive of going into this and God pulling me off of this realm of ministry was to warn America of what's coming. What I'm going to give you is not gloom and doom. There are three realms that God deals in. And so often, I hear people say to me, Well, Henry, 
God has not appointed the Christians to wrath. I totally agree with you. Please don't think I am insinuating in any way in any of the materials of what I give you that this is the wrath of God. This is the beginning of the pleadings of God with the United States of America. He has a controversy with us. And he will begin with pleadings. So we have the pleadings of God. And then we have the judgment of God. And finally, the wrath of God follows. I believe God's people, the saints, are subjected to the pleadings of God and to the judgments of God. But I do not believe that they are in any way predestined to be subjected to the wrath of God. So please understand that right up front. I believe that with all of my heart. December the 14th, 1986. I got up at 4.30 in the morning to pray before I would begin walking the city of Carnarvon, northern Wales. I knelt down by my bed and the Lord spoke words to me that I didn't want to hear. He said, Are you willing to lay your wife and your family on the altar and never see them again this side of heaven? He asked me that the afternoon before. I couldn't answer him. And that morning at 4.30 in the morning, when I got up and got on my knees, he said, I want your answer before you leave the room this day. I jumped to my feet. The tears were streaming down my face. I began walking back and forth in the room, saying, Lord, I am afraid. I am afraid if you take my family, I will be offended at you. And I don't want to be offended, for your word says, Blessed are those that are not offended in me. But I felt that that would be a great sacrifice. And I didn't think my personal being was up to that kind of a request. But as God, I buried my face in my pillow and cried out loud because I didn't want to wake up the people in the rooms around me. God began to bring before me all the years with our children, 13 children. The different circumstances. We had six of them at home. Natural childbirth. Yes, we had just about every complication you could name, including one born dead. And I'll say to you that just in a less than a month, he'll be graduating with his degree in, in design engineering. So he's very much alive today only because of Jesus and his goodness. But Jesus took these kind of things and put them before my eyes, just like you're looking at this television screen. A vision is just like looking at a, a picture in front of you. Only difference is you're sitting there in your living room or wherever. You can put your hands over your face or Stop your eyes from seeing it. But a vision, you can even slap your face and the vision goes on. That's called a day vision. A night vision is when you have a dream. But the difference between it being just, uh, as some people say, too much pizza or something like that, the difference is, is that when you have a vision from God, detail stays with you. Though it was December the 14th, 1986, every time I ever tell this vision, it comes before me as though it's happening all over again. It is no difficulty to repeat it precisely because I'm seeing it all over again. That's a vision from God. If you have a dream from God, detail stays with you. If you have great difficulty remembering the dream, leave it alone. There is a man, a king, it had difficulty understanding the dream, but I assure you it was from God. And he remembered every detail, didn't he? 
And when Daniel came before him, he gave him the detail, and that king knew there was no form whatsoever of counterfeit operation going on. This young man knew what dream he had because it was a dream given from God. So I want to go in and give you, begin giving you visions. Try and remember these visions. Note them in your mind. I'll call off certain aspects of the visions because I believe they're going to be of significance in materials that I will offer to you. In that vision, I was standing and looking out over the Isle of Anglesey in Carnarvon, northern Wales, standing on the Eagle Tower on the Carnarvon Castle. This is the Carnarvon Castle is where Charles, Prince Charles, was coronated as Prince of Wales. That's a significant expression and reason I believe that God put me there. There's a lot that can be put into that. But that isn't my particular expertise. We'll leave that with those who feel they have other information on it. However, as I stood there looking out over the Isle of Anglesey from the Eagle Tower, it's the tallest tower of the Carnarvon Castle, all of a sudden, looking out across toward over the, the Irish Sea, the tip of the Irish Sea into the North Sea, I was caught up into the heavens and looking down on the earth like a globe. And as I looked down on the earth like a globe, I saw a massive military movement coming out of an area up by the Arctic. And I couldn't figure out what this was, what was going on, why a military, navy, and air force, why it would be going out between the United States and Europe up above Finland, going out through the Icelandic Gap and heading down between the United States and Europe and making a curl all the way around the Horn of Africa towards the Pers Persian Gulf. Now that's significant. When all of a sudden... I was alarmed because of that. You would have been too. I looked over toward the United States and I saw something I'd never seen in my life. I had never even preconceived the thought of it. I had always thought that the United States was wiser and more powerful than to allow Russian subs to be parked right almost on our beaches per se. What I mean by that is you could see the submarines down under the water, but there were areas that the sand still had drifted on down from the beaches into the depths, and the submarines were sitting there aimed at America. I saw them sprinkled all the way across the East Coast. When I saw that, my family at that time lived in Portland, Oregon. I was alarmed, of course, and I wanted to look over toward Portland to see what was going on. And as I looked across the continent of the United States of this globe, I saw the submarines from way up by Washington, the top of Washington, all the way down around toward San Diego, poised in the same way all the way along our coast in the north from the Pacific side. Then something else caught my attention. I began to see radio towers going up all across the nation. And these radio towers, as they went up, the, da -da -da, the dotted lines began going out as though they were transmitting. And then there was an alarm went off in me. They're sounding the alarm. We're going to be under attack. The siege is laid. When all of a sudden I was watching these radio dots going out like the transmitting of a warning. And instead of the people being warned, they sprinkled to the ground like dust. And an alarm went off in me, and I cried out in the heavens, and I said, Oh, God, they won't even know what hit them. And at that time, all of a sudden, I looked down on the eastern seaboard at the submarine, was drawn to that one right off from New York City, and I saw the missile come right out of that submarine and go right up and come right over the city of New York, and the entire city disappeared. 
Then I looked down, on down toward Florida. And down there, I could see another explosion take place. I looked across because of my family being in the Pacific Northwest. I looked across. Another explosion took place up by Seattle, Bellevue. And then another one down by San Francisco. And another one down toward Los Angeles. And another one toward San Diego. And there I stood in shock as I was watching these explosions take place in these cities literally disappearing from off the face of the earth. The next instant, I was standing back down on the Eagle Tower. And I found myself looking down in the village. There was no alarm going off. The cars were going the the normal speed. People were walking. I looked out over the bay where there were some British ships, warships. And I watched them and studied them for a few seconds. There was no alarm there. And I found myself saying this, Oh, God... If this has not happened, what will be the sign of it and of its time? And God spoke to my spirit, and these were the words he said. December the 14th, 1986, before Glasnost, Perestroika, the Berlin Wall was still up. The Cold War was still in full bore run. We supposedly were still on alert. The words were spoken to me. When Russia opens her gates and lets the masses go, the free world will occupy themselves with transporting, housing, and caring for the masses. We'll begin letting their weapons down, crying peace and safety. And that's when it will happen. Now, the question I submit to you is this. Where are we on that scenario? Where are we in that prophetic timetable? Is that vision being fulfilled before our eyes? Are we seeing it literally take place? There's another vision I want to give right now that's called the Prince Charles vision. The reason it's called Prince Charles is because he's in it. And many students of Bible prophecy who believe that there's a possibility he could be one of the men of the Antichrist or the Antichrist have written and ask permission to use this vision and some of these explanations. I don't know about that yet. Uh, Again, I say that isn't my expertise. Please don't ask me, do I think Prince Charles is the Antichrist? I don't know. I know he was in the vision. In the vision, this one happened in 1982. We were living, February of 1982, we were living over in Portland, Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, the Lord woke me up early in the morning, said, get down and pray and seek my face. I went down, got on my knees, began to seek the Lord, and I had this vision. In the vision, an angel came to me and said, I want you to take your wife, and at that time we had 10 of our 13 children at home. I want you to take your wife and your children and put them in the van, and I want you to go out Highway 26 toward Mount Hood. Stay on that highway till you come to government camp. Now, just part of that little insert there, government camp. We have a lot of messages today about government camps that are being built all over this nation. And you Prophecy Club students are aware of what I'm talking about. Even 2020 did a major segment on the government camps that they call for illegal aliens all across the United States of America, even some of them containing the capacity, ability of 80,000 people. 
And if they're for illegal aliens, I'd like to know why they're way up in Delta in Alaska, in the, 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 the icebox of America. Sorry, you don't have a lot of illegal aliens there. Maybe they're planning on invasion of them. I don't know. I think they already have in mind who they want. However, we won't go into that. Go up to government camp. When you come to the outer edge of this, the town of government camp, staying on Highway 26, you'll be heading around the mountain, Mount Hood. Look at your millometer and go five miles to the tenth. Five miles to the tenth, and there will be a pull-off on the right. Get off out of the car, and you lead the way down a switchbacking trail into a canyon. Have your wife bring up the rear and the children in between. When you come down into the bottom, you'll come out into a clearing. There'll be a person to meet you and tell you what to do next. In the vision, I nodded, and the vision immediately changed, and we were in the van, and we were going out Highway 26, and the children were asking me many questions. Dad, why didn't we bring any camping gear, any fishing poles? I said, because we're not going camping. We're not going fishing. Well, where are we going? And these kind of questions. And I said, we're going to meet someone. Well, who is it? I don't know. And it was that plane of a vision. God wanted me to know that my family was involved in this and the countdown of it. And I find the more I live, the more my family is involved in the countdown of it. And the more you live, the more your family is involved in the countdown of it. And it is a day to be concerned about your family such as you never have been in all your life. We came to the edge of government camp. I told one of the children, I said, now I want you to watch this millimeter. When it reads this, it's just about this one here that turns like this one, says this number, you tell me and there should be a pull-off if we're right. Sure enough, he's saying, Daddy, it's getting to that number. And sure enough, I said, yes, there's the pull-off. And we pulled off and we begin to walk down this switchbacking trail into the canyon. The children following, the wife bringing up the rear. Just like the instructions, we came out into an opening down on the bottom out into a clearing, and here standing was an English butler. Very proper, standing poised with a full black tuxedo on, very proper with a white towel over his arm, and he just looks at us, and he's standing at attention like as we come out into the clearing. He was expecting us, and he says, Now then, you've arrived. Follow me. And so we followed him across the clearing, and we came to the edge of the clearing, and I didn't realize it, but it went down farther into the very floor of the canyon. And as we went down into the very floor of the canyon, I was heading down. I looked down below, and here were five rows of chairs, 12 chairs in each row, 60 chairs down there. In front of them was one little platform about 15 feet wide, 12 by 15, a single microphone on a, on a pedestal, on the front and one chair on the back. As we're going down, I notice there's a senator standing there and a general. He's got four stars on his shoulder. I used to think it was five, but since I've been to the Pentagon and met some generals, I met some four-star generals and I found out they have brass buttons down here and it looked like another star, but it was, it was one of those brass buttons. We don't, presently, we don't have a five-star general. To be a five-star, you have to have fought in a declared war and then Congress approves you for that fifth star. So we only have four-star generals right now. We went down. It's as though I knew in the vision, I knew the senator, but I didn't know the general. The butler introduced me to the general, and he said, as he was seating my wife and the children, the butler was, 
The general said, yes. He said, you're the family we've heard about. Now, I still don't know what that means, and it's in the hands of the Lord. At that instant, I turned and looked, and all of the 60 chairs were filled. I didn't see them before that. I couldn't tell you who it was in those chairs except for my wife on the end, eight of my children, and the general and the senator. At that point, the butler said, we need to be seated. We must begin. So we all sit down. He pulled out from under his arm, the white towel. He pulled out a two-way radio, and I began walking back up to the area of the clearing, muttering some words. At that instant, I heard behind me a big helicopter coming. And I turned and looked back at the, at the edge of the canyon to be able to see this great big double-bladed blackish-brown helicopter, no markings on it, coming over the, the rim of the canyon. On cables, it was carrying a bluish construction office. When I was in Geneva, Switzerland, at the United Nations building, standing looking at their official color, all of a sudden, the vision come back to me, and I thought, oh, my word, the construction office is the same color as the U.N. official colors, the blue. And I thought, Lord, there is a significance of that. The U.N. is under construction, and they're doing a lot of building around the world. The helicopter came and gently let the construction office down and released the cable, and the butler went up and opened the door. And out stepped Prince Charles. Charles was wearing the cut-off sleeves, cut-off pants, the khaki-type color, and the big-rimmed hat like you'd be on a, a safari in very hot, arid country or something, or jungle. He looked like he'd been in the desert. And as he was coming with the butler over the clearing, down the grade, we were looking at him. And as I looked at his face, I said to myself, something's wrong. He's very sober. His face is puffy. His eyes are red. It looks like he's been crying for several days. As he approached, we all stood up. The butler introduced the general and the senator greeted him. They already had met him and known him. The butler introduced him to us. And he said to me, looking down the line at my children and my wife on the end, he said, thank you for coming. You're here by my request. Please be seated. I have a message for you. At that, we were all seated except for the general and Charles. The butler stood out on the right end, kind of at attention. And Charles and the general went up on the small platform. They conferred with one another for a few minutes. The general nodded and took the single seat in the rear. Charles went up to the microphone and said these words. Thank you for coming today. You're here by my request. Please take heed. I have a message for you. And then he began. He said, I must inform you that your nation is at war and that you have a battle to fight. But the saddest thing is you must fight it without God. And with that, the general behind him jumped to his feet, stepped off the small platform, coming around on the, on the ground, came right in front of Charles, looking up with his hands on his hips, very sarcastic, looked right up into the face of Charles and said, We know we're at war. And we know we have a battle to fight. But we didn't know God had anything to do with it. And with that, Charles came up with his hands that were down at his side. And in a sweeping motion like this, brought his fingers right down between the general's eyes and said, And sir, that is your mistake. 
And with that, Charles and the general began arguing whether God had anything to do with this war and this battle or not. As they were arguing, we were all paying attention and watching. When all of a sudden, in my peripheral vision, off to my left, down off about 70 feet away, I saw a motion, and I turned and looked, and there was a frog that would have been about uh, 20 feet high, a massive frog. Now, I grew up in the desert, and in August of the year, when the monsoons hit, these frogs seem to come out of nowhere. And they're very plump frogs. It makes you wonder how they can be so fat. And they are dark, dark green. Dark, dark green. This frog, what had caught my attention was, he was sitting. When we gathered, we never saw him. But all of a sudden, he lifted his head to fill the air sac to make the croaking sound like they do. And that motion of lifting his head is what drew my attention and caused me to see him. When I saw that frog filling that air sac, terror swept over me. And I wanted to turn to the people and Charles and the general and say, let's get out of here. If that frog croaks, we're all dead. But I didn't do it. I stayed seated and kept silent. And all of a sudden... As I was watching that frog, it opened its mouth, and out of its mouth came a white vapor. And as that white vapor came out, terror filled me. The people with me didn't see it. My family didn't see it. My wife didn't see it. Charles and the general didn't even see it. The white vapor came and enveloped Charles and the general. I knew when that vapor hit, they were dead. This is why some people ask me, do you believe that Charles is the Antichrist? Well, I did not see him die in the vision, but it was like I knew in the vision, that white vapor hits you, you're dead. Chemical warfare. At the instant it hit Charles and the general, coming toward my wife on the other end of those chairs... I was caught up again like the Russian invasion vision, the, the, the submarine vision, caught up into the heavens, looking down on the earth like a globe. The kind of a picture that you would see, a satellite picture when they do the weather picture. And as I was caught up in the heavens, I was looking down on the earth, but instead of seeing the whole earth, I looked in like I had eagle vision. I focused in on a square down on the earth and what I call Trafalgar Square. And I apologize for not having a picture of that. I didn't bring it with me. I've got plenty of them at home. Trafalgar Square is over in the heart of London. The main arteries of all the highways come together in London and they come together at Trafalgar Square. You have, you have the political offices, you have industry, you have religious uh, churches, you have libraries, museums. It's a representation of the British Empire. You have four lions, massive bronze lions that are about 10 feet tall. Uh, that are on the four corners of the square, aiming the north, south, and east, and west. You have Nelson's column on the, on the square. Admiral Nelson is the one that they honor because of the, the Battle of Trafalgar that took place that determined the North American continent to be under the colonies, which obviously became the United States of America. But without the winning of that battle of Trafalgar, Spain would have ruled the North American continent and the colonies would have all been under Spain. You see the turning point, the pivotal point of history here, very crucial. I believe much of this is the reason God showed me Trafalgar Square 
or put that in me. I've been to Trafalgar Square many times, had been before this. But God made it real to me as Trafalgar Square. I'm looking down into the square when all of a sudden the people come running out of all these businesses and these offices and industries and everything. And they're running into the square. And all of a sudden they start pointing up like where the frog was at my left hand in my vision. Now they're pointing up the same direction to my left hand. I'm looking to see what they're pointing at. And as I look, I see they're pointing at a massive military that comes clear up into the heavens where I'm standing. I look off and to the immediate left of me above this massive military that goes into the heavens is a gentleman that's standing up there and he is standing with his fist clenched. This gentleman is standing. I'll find it in a second. This gentleman is standing. His fists are clenched down at his side like this. As his fists are clenched, he's full military uniform. As he's full military, he's looking down at his army. He's watching these people down in the square. And as he's watching them down in the square, they are pointing at his army, and they are pointing at him, and they are laughing and mocking. I can't believe that they are mocking an army that goes into the heavens. This just boggles my imagination. Why would they mock such a, a fearsome-looking army that have weapons out here? The military had, were holding guns out here because their chests came out like a, the ribbing of a locust. They had googie eyes and snooted noses. This is a loaf of bread I actually cook. I actually cook this. And as a matter of fact, I've already had a, a slice of bread this morning. And, and I've noticed that as long as I have at least one slice a day, I feel okay. It's best if I have two slices, like one for breakfast, one for lunch. I just, even if I'm not hungry, it's, it's not that I'm eating it for food or because I'm hungry. It's because my body... <laughs> My body demands it. So josephkitchen.com, they can point you to get the right wheat, all the wherewithal you need to make bread. One loaf cut into 14 slices. If you eat two slices a day, I find that about one loaf feeds one person per week. One slice breakfast, one slice dinner, better nutrition, long storage life, some 3,000 years, three, 10 minutes to make bread machine. The weakness is the electricity, but they're, they, if you go to josephkitchen.com, they can show you how to solve all of those problems. 